For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Good morning, guys. Let's try it again. Good morning, guys. All right, welcome to Trailhead. We are going to continue our walk through Ephesians. Uh, before we do, a couple things. Um, yesterday, we hosted our affordable Christmas event, um, and everybody who came out, everybody who, um, you know, in the kitchen, greeting, helping people shop, set up, tear down, clean, thank you. Thank you. It was a great day. It really was. We, we as a church served, um, I don't know, 68 families, um, I don't know, like 160 plus kids, and, and the cool thing, I had a great job yesterday. Uh, my job was to walk around and talk to people. So you can be jealous. Some of you were. It was awesome. I really enjoyed it. And what I loved about it is I actually got to, to just hear stories and, and talk to people um, about how the day was impacting them. And I got to, to just honestly hear gratitude and, and, and share some stories of joy. And it was very cool, you guys. It was very cool. It was a very practical, easy way for us. Not easy, but it is easy in the big scope of things for us to come alongside people and just practically show them the love of Christ. And so thank you, uh, everybody who contributed, everybody who served, everybody who gave. Um, it really was um, a great day, and um, we're celebrating. So thanks. The second thing I want to remind you, and I've been mentioning this over the last couple of weeks, is that next week we're going to be taking a special offering. Uh, what, what prompted this was um, a, need, a need that has popped up. Um, our space... Um, is zoned for commercial, um, which means, you know, the fire and all that sort of stuff, the sprinklers, and which is awesome. But the fire department um, realized that they, they hadn't um, given us the right code. We, we need to be zoned for assembly, which is a different set of codes. And what that means is we're going to have to upgrade our space. We're going to have to install signs and, and some new door hardware. And, and the most expensive piece of it is that we're going to need to install smoke detectors that are wired throughout the building that are actually wired to the fire department and all the rest of that. And, and I'm guessing, we don't know yet, we've had contractors in this last week, we're still getting um, bids and, and talking to contractors, but I'm guessing that it's going to cost somewhere around $5,000, $6,000 to make all the upgrades necessary to our space. Um, of course, this is a pretty important part of our strategy for reaching our community and for gathering. Um, we now have um, over 200 people that, that call Trailhead home and, and meet and gather with us on a weekly basis, which is awesome. But it's kind of hard to find a space that will seat 200. Um, obviously, we're at two services here because our space won't. Um, this is unique, and we need to do, you know, we can to protect it or pray that God will show us where he wants us to go. If God is pushing us out and sending us a new, new direction, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. God knows before we do um, how he's going to meet the needs that arise in front of us. But for us to be responsible, obviously, what we need to do is make sure that we're collecting the money we need to collect to upgrade this space or fund the moving to a new space if that's what God's going to lead us to do. So we're going to be taking a special offering next week, and I'm going to encourage you, ask you to pray about how you can contribute to that. It is above and beyond our regular giving. If you're a member, a regular attender, you know that, that um, that's already part of our worship and our commitment to each other. Uh, we give um, as a body to fund the work of the gospel through this local church. 
Um, this is a special offering. It's in addition to that because we still need to fund our, our, um, our regular budget. Um, and so I'm going to ask you to pray about how God will lead you to contribute. Um, and I'm confident that God will stir us to generosity and um, uh, that, you know, his plan ultimately to meet the needs uh, of the church is through the church. And so this is, again, our privilege to partner together, to sacrifice together in joy, um, to continue to see the, the work of the gospel pushed out. Um, and so I encourage you to, to pray about it and then come prepared next week for, for that special offering. Anything we, we raise above and beyond, I would love to see us honestly raise eight to $10,000. That, that would thrill me because what it would do is allow us not just to equip this space, um, but even move out on mission beyond this space. I would love to see us raise some money specifically for um, our partnership with works of, of mission, put it that way. People that are out serving people in the community, like Affordable Christmas, short-term missionaries. We have a lot of college students that will be traveling um, and, and, and hitting expenses, but, but going out and, and just serving the Lord. And we would love to partner with them in a, in a, in a more real way. And so that's what we're going to do with any of the excess that comes in is we're going to specifically set it aside for that. So that's our vision for it. That's what's happening. I, I'm going to ask you to come prepared um, for that next week. All right. This morning, we are continuing um, to dig into um, Ephesians. And honestly, this is this what we're covering is is Paul's second prayer in Ephesians. I've read this book, I mean, I don't know, dozens of times over the years. I don't, I'm not sure, and probably every time have got to this section of the book and and got some good feel good moments out of it, enjoyed it, um, and, and honestly, was kind of looking forward to preaching it because I thought it might be kind of a softball, you know, like like this will be an easy preaching week and um, it's going to be encouraging and and uh, it kicked my butt. I'm um, just going to be honest. I mean, this thing crushed me. In a good way, but it did. I mean, this this prayer crushed me, um, and I'm it put me in tears. And uh, I think as I studied it and looked at it, this is the pivot of the entire letter. Letter um, that that it hinges the two halves of the letter. The first half is all about who God is and what He's done. The second half is all about how we're supposed to live out our lives in response to that. And at the heart of it is this prayer. And this prayer is what makes uh, all of it incredibly personal and makes the second half actually make sense, which we'll get into. But I want to unpack a little bit about what Paul's thinking as he, as he writes this letter. If you take a look, um, there's a phrase right at the beginning of the prayer in verse 14. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees. For this reason. If you look back to the beginning of chapter 3, you'll see it again. For this reason, I, Paul. We talked about how last week Paul actually began the prayer. He's like, for this reason, I... And then he's like, oh, yeah, I'm writing to people. Some of them don't know who I am. Some of them haven't met me personally. So let me introduce myself, explain to them that I'm a prisoner, that I'm writing from prison, but I don't want them to pity me. I want them to be filled with joy with me because I am full of gratitude. I want them to be full of gratitude and, and to know that all of this is part of God's plan to, to advance the gospel, right? So he's explained that and he's coming back to his prayer for this reason. Well, for what reason? What's he talking about? For this reason, I pray. Well, he's actually referring to everything he's already said in the first half of the letter. What he's saying is that ultimately when I look back at everything that I've just unpacked for you, what God's shown me, I can't help but pray this prayer for you. So what's he unpacked? Well, very simply in chapter one, he unpacked that, that God is a God of mission, that God created all things and he's on mission now to redeem and restore all things, that, that he created everything to be good around his name and, and, and out of his glory. Uh, sin came in and broke that. And, and he is on mission to redeem what has been lost, to restore his glory to the created order, and ultimately pour his joy back into us. At the heart of this plan 
to redeem and restore is a crazy strategy. And that strategy is to turn sinners into saints, to take people who are broken, lost rebels and turn them into sons. And chapter 1 showed us that that God is holistically on mission, that God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three who's, one what, Um, doesn't make a lot of, if you push farther into that, it'll just hurt your head. It doesn't make sense. But, but it is one God on mission, and, and, and the three who's of God are cooperatively dancing together, working together, planning together. We saw that God the Father has been planning for an eternity to redeem and restore what would be lost, that God the Son was appointed to be the hero of the story, the one who would put on flesh and come and ultimately fully identify himself with us, to die in our place, to rise again, the one who would step into our sin die in our place so that we could be forgiven. And that God the Spirit was the one who was going to ultimately come and and make that message come alive to our hearts. Like when that message of good news was preached to us, it's the Spirit that opens our eyes and shows us the beauty of the good news of the gospel and and then seals us and and is a pledge of of what God has in store for us. He seals us like a a stamp, right? We've been branded as God's um, when we believe in Jesus, and, and we're given a pledge of what is to come, which is more of God, right? And, 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 and all of this is so that He can bless us. Right at the beginning of Ephesians, it says that we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing, which is Paul's way of basically saying, we've been given the one blessing that unlocks every other blessing in life. We've been given the one blessing that ultimately is the key to every other blessing in life, and it comes through this work of Jesus. And that his, one of the gifts and one of his purposes in doing this is, is not just to call out individuals and redeem individuals, but to redeem a people, right? That God's purpose isn't ultimately to, to create a subdivision in heaven, right? Suburbs where everybody's got their own home and they're like 10 miles away from everybody else. And we get to live in, in quiet solitude, right? Um, his purpose is to create a people, In the same way that God is community, we were created for community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a dance of of loving and being loved, of knowing and being known, that we were created to need each other and to love each other. And God's purpose is to redeem us to that people, a new humanity for a new creation, where where the only thing that that is the requirement for getting in is faith. It's not based on, on where you were born or what race you are, how intelligent you are, how much money you are, how much people respect you, or whether or not people look up to you, or whether you're, you're, you're accepted or, or rejected, or, or you know, the, whatever economic, socioeconomic, demographic background we want to look at. Even if it comes to God's work in history. God in history revealed himself to the Jews. Very specifically gave them a series of covenants that were covenants of promise, of blessing. But all of those blessings came together ultimately in the one person that fulfilled all those covenants, Jesus. And Jesus exploded every uh, boundary, every demographic, every limitation to create one new people, to be his body, to be his bride. And we're we're part, part of the blessing is that we're brought into that new people where the only requirement is to have faith in Jesus. And what Paul is saying is, is this is great news. God is a great God, and he has a great plan, and he's doing a great thing, and you've received a great blessing. And if you get it, if you understand this, it's going to change everything. If you really believe this stuff, it changes everything. And in fact, that's what Paul is praying, that we'll get it. 
Paul's praying that, that, all right, I've just given you all this information. I've given you all this knowledge about God, but I don't want you just to know about God. I want you to know God. I don't want you to just have a head full of information that tells you about the love of God. I want you to experience the love of God. And that's my prayer. My prayer is that you would get it, believe it, and be transformed by it. So let's take a look at this prayer. Let's kind of walk through a little bit what Paul's looking at, what he's praying. Verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, this is interesting because Jewish men prayed standing up. Typically, they did not bow to pray. They stood up to pray. You would bow in times of extreme duress or to show great honor or great urgency. So what Paul is saying is, I'm not just, I'm not just passively, you know, like sometimes we'll be like, hey, I'll pray for you. And then so we don't feel like a hypocrite right that minute. We're like, oh, Lord bless this person. And then we're done. We're like, yeah, cool. You know, I prayed. You know what I'm saying? I got to admit, I do that sometimes, right? That's not, that's not what he's doing here. He's not just saying, oh, yeah, I prayed for you guys, I think. No, he's, he's like, I bow. I have a sense of urgency. I'm, I'm like, like broken in this. Like, like, this is my burden for you. I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family and heaven on earth is named. Now, this is really an interesting way for him. Titles always point us to character. And, and so when he, when he describes God in this way, it's designed to point us to, to a specific characteristic of God. God is the one who's named everyone. Now, naming is a form of, of ownership. It's a, it's, a, it's a form of relationship. And what he's saying is that God created everything in his own image. Everything created bears the stamp of God. And so in creation, it was all His. It reflected His glory and was part of His glory. And it will be part of His glory. See, this looks back to creation, but it also looks forward to restoration. That God is in the process of bringing the entire thing back so that He's the center. So that everything, once again, is centered around the glory of God, points back to the glory of God, and is a proper orbit around God. So I pray to the God who created it all and is restoring it all. Verse 16 that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant to you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Okay, so what He's praying is that we're going to have something um, happen inside of us. That there's going to be a strengthening that takes place inside of us, internally. Not that God would change our circumstances. Not that God would pour out all kinds of material wealth and blessing. That's not, He's saying, I'm, my, the most urgent prayer I have for you is that God's going to do something in here. Something you can't do for yourself. And it's going to be a strengthening with power. Verse 17, why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Interesting prayer. If you're a believer in Jesus, doesn't Christ already, in a sense, dwell in your heart through the work of the Spirit? The answer is yes. If you're a believer, one of the things we learned in chapter 1 is as soon as you believe, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity actually seals you. You're His. There's a unique relationship, and He actually indwells you, and and God comes and and makes His home with you as a believer. So what does Paul mean that that you'll be strengthened so that um, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith? What he's saying is, is that Paul's praying that we will have a greater capacity 
to experience the benefits of our relationship with Christ. That we will have a greater capacity to experience the benefits of our relationship with Christ. That that He will give us a superhuman strength to experience and walk in a superhuman love. What He's praying is that we'll have more. And one of the things you need to realize, one of the things you need to hear is that in the Christian life, there's always more. More of Christ, more joy, more transformation, more to discover, more to experience. Some of you, honestly, are, are you're just bored in your Christian life. You know, it was work for you to get up and even come here this morning, right? You're just going through the motions, you're doing the things, but you're, you know, it's like, I'm doing the right things. I'm reading, you know, maybe, reading my Bible, putting in my time in prayer, behaving morally. What Paul is praying is that you will wake up from that dead, lifeless, religious walk and actually have strength to experience more in your relationship with Christ. That that you will come alive. You're like, Steve, that's not me, man. I woke up this morning and as soon as my eyes opened, I was like filled with joy. I'm like, yes, I am God's. And that's awesome. There's more. You haven't tasted it all yet. There's more. There's always more. Because God is an infinite God filled with infinite joy and infinite glory. He's praying that our capacity will be supernaturally expanded to experience more of our blessing in Christ. With a purpose, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. There's not even an end to that sentence. I love that. The breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. He's praying that we will have strength to comprehend the incomprehensible. That, that we will understand. I mean, he's like, he's like, Lord, just give them strength. Give them vision. Give them, let them see what they have. Open their eyes to a greater degree to the blessing that's already there. So that they can understand. And, and he's like trying, he's struggling. He's like the language. He's like the, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. Then he doesn't even finish the sentence. He's like, he's just, it's big. It's bigger than you know. It's bigger than you understand. It's overwhelming. So made me think of a time when I was, I guess I was about 18, when I was first in college, um, I had a Volkswagen van and, and I was going to college in Iowa and I, I lived in California and I would travel back and forth and I would always try and travel a different route because um, I always wanted to see stuff. And so um, I remember one time taking the southeastern route, and, and sorry, southwestern route, and um, and I remember seeing a sign for the Grand Canyon. And I'm like, that's not that far away, I don't think. You know, I was like, I didn't have any time schedule. I love this. It was like, what a wonderful period of time. You know, it's like, no, no, all I had was enough, I needed enough money to fill my tank. That was it. You know, so I'm like, all I have to do is find a KOA, sleep in my van. Uh, I got granola bars and, and plenty of soda in my van. So I'm like, I'll go see the Grand Canyon. This was not a life ambition. I'm just going to tell you. People told me that there was this big hole 
And it was never like my ambition. I Man, I got to see that big hole. You know what I'm saying? It was like, <laughs> you know, sure, it'd be interesting. But why would you want to go see a big hole? It's just a hole. A hole is where there's nothing, right? So why am I going to go? It's, uh, it's, uh, but I'm right here, you know? And everyone says it's great, so, so I'll go over there. So I drove up there, and, and I had no idea um, how big it was and where I was supposed to see it. But it all worked out perfectly. I actually got an incredible. I pulled up. I get out. And as I'm walking up, um, I remember simply being overwhelmed. It was way bigger than I ever imagined. Like, it was a big, big hole, right? It was a big, big hole. And it was beautiful. Like, I'm walking up to the edge, and it's just, you can see forever. And there's all this color, and there's that river. And, and there's birds. Like, they're soaring, but they're like at eye level, Right? It's beautiful. It was actually overwhelming. And I remember in that moment thinking, this is why people come here. <laughs> it's not just a big hole. It's like awesome, right? It's just like this, the, the sense of beauty and vastness and the height and the breadth and the length and the depth. I mean, it was just, it was big. <laughs> it was big. And it was so big, it just like filled me in a sense with how small I was. And it, put me, it gave me a sense of awe. Give me a sense of awe. When Paul writes this, remember where he's sitting. He's not sitting on the edge of the Grand Canyon being inspired by the vista. He is sitting in a jail cell. He's probably writing by candlelight. It's probably cold. He doesn't have anybody around, right? And yet as he's writing, I imagine him, Lord, open their eyes. Give them strength to see the beauty of your love. Give them a vision of the height, the breadth, the depth. I see him in tears as he is overwhelmed with the beauty and the grandeur of God's love. I mean, if you were the jailer, you'd think he was like nuts, right? You'd be like, we need to get the prison psych in here. This guy, he's crying. I'm used to prisoners crying, but he's smiling. That's not normal. He's like incredibly happy. There's something wrong with him. There was nothing wrong with him. He understood something that made his present situation completely understandable in a totally different way. Instead of being filled with a vision of his self-pity and of his suffering and of his pain, he was so overwhelmed by love that that all was small by comparison. Have you ever had that? Have you ever experienced that? You've loved someone and you get to see them? And you go through your day, and all of a sudden, the, the, the nuisance of a jerk in the cubicle next to you just doesn't bother you that much anymore, right? Your car breaks down on the way. Oh, okay, well, I'll just hitchhike, you know? You're like, yeah, I can get over anything. You know why? Because you've got, it's like this sense of, of impending blessing, because you're in love. <laughs> you, ever, you ever experience that? That's crazy. I mean, it's, it's one of those senses that, that when, when, when you're filled with that, Everything else seems small. Pain is less painful. Discomfort is less discomforting. Setbacks are less intimidating. Why? Because you're overwhelmed by the scope. And that's what's happening. Paul's overwhelmed by the scope of God's love. He is emotionally undone by its glory. He is overwhelmed with gratitude instead of self-pity. And he tries to explain in this prayer, and he's praying that we will understand this mystery of being undone by the love of God. 
He's praying that we'll experience the same thing. That we will know a love that surpasses our ability to know it. That's, that's what a, a crazy thing. I mean, this is a bold prayer. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. <laughs> that you might be filled with that which cannot ever be contained. That he would expand our ability to experience what is infinite in its scope. Not just talking about a knowledge of God's love, but being overwhelmed by its glory, by its power, by its presence. This is so far removed from our Christian life a lot of times, isn't it? We settle for so little. We are content with such a small view of the love of God and such a small experience of the outpouring of His infinite love. And yet it's the very thing we need. It's the thing that feeds us. It's the thing that makes us strong. Look at verse 17, right in the heart of this prayer. Paul uses two metaphors that help us explain what he's talking about. Verse 17, he's praying, God, you know, increase their strength so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and he doesn't finish the sentence, but of the love of God. that you may be rooted and grounded. These are two metaphors. One is botanical and, and one is architectural. The botanical Ill, metaphor is, is may you be rooted in the love of God like, like a plant. The other is architectural. May you have a firm foundation, a solid foundation in the love of God, right? Um, we all understand what roots do for a plant, right? My backyard, I've got, my neighbor's got a tree and it drops those helicopters. You know what I'm talking about? Those little things. I love those, by the way. I love the creativity of God. Uh, you just take those things like a perfect little toy, throw them up in the air, and they all just spin. They're wonderful. And, and it distracts you because they're so delightful that you forget they're actually going to invade your stinking yard. These things root faster than anything else I've ever seen, right? Like, like you leave them there for a week, and you've got a foot, that's a two-foot-tall tree, right? And, and they're like really hard to get out. Once, it's like two weeks. It's two weeks. One grew up through my, uh, my rose bush out in the front yard. And, and so I go grab this thing. I'm like, I'll just pull it out. I'm like, mm. Two hands, like full on, you know, not realizing. I get up and I've got like torn my fingers up, right? Thing didn't come out. What do roots do for a plant? They give stability, but more importantly, they give nourishment. The roots are like a plant's stomach, right? I mean, they go down into the, to the ground. They, they find the nutrients. They, they absorb the nutrients. And then they, they, they pull them up into the tree so that the tree can be healthy and grow. Paul is praying that we will be rooted in the love of God. That, that we will be fed by the love of God. We'll unpack that more in just a moment. The other metaphor is this idea of being grounded or well-founded in the love of God. Um, like a, a solid foundation. Now, Paul has already explained at the end of chapter 2, he calls Jesus the cornerstone of our faith, uh, our keystone. A cornerstone is, is the first stone that was laid in building a building, 
So they would take the, the best stone, the squarest stone, and they would set it on a firm foundation. And it became, in a sense, the structural piece that held up the rest of the building. And more importantly, this stone actually directed the lines for the rest of the building. So it would actually, every other stone was lined up with it. And so it became what, what made the building square. It, it, it protected the integrity of the building that would be built. Jesus is that for us, right? He is our, our firm foundation. And when we come in line with him, we submit to him and he sets the lines of our lives. We trust that he's going to tell a better story for us than we will tell for ourselves. And, and we trust that, that if we align ourselves with him, he will build something that actually makes sense in the end, that everything's lined up, right? Um, at least we struggle to believe that. And, and that's, Jesus is that, that cornerstone, and then everything else is built on it. And ultimately, we have a foundation. What does a foundation do? A foundation gives stability, long-term stability and strength. Um, there, there are different kinds of uh, foundations, and Jesus actually talks about this in one of his parables. We're going to put it up, Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read this. Just follow along on the screen. It says, Everyone that hears my words, or these words of mine, this is Jesus speaking, and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell. And great was the fall of it. All right, you got two dudes and both of them want homes. Both of them want, um, why do we build homes? We want, we, want, we want security. We want protection. We want um, a certain amount of comfort, right? We're, we're all motivated by the same thing, and we're all building for the same thing as we build our lives, but these two men build in very different ways. The one builds his house upon a rock, the other builds his house upon the sand, right? Now, during this period of time, um, the way I envision it is, you know, you, you just contract it out and have a bunch of people show up. You had to carry your stuff to your work site, right? So to climb up on top of a rock and to build this thing was more work, more effort, more expense, but it was wise, because you're actually building something that would last, right? As opposed to the guy who's just thrown up a shack on the beach. And maybe it's not a shack. Maybe it's actually a beautiful mansion. And he's invested his whole life into it. And, and it's beautiful. And, and everything is in it, it reflects him and, and all of his values. The problem is when the storm comes, one lasts and one is destroyed. And as horrible as it is to lose your house, it's way worse to lose your life. And that's what he's saying when he says, great was the fall of it. He's not talking about just the loss of a house. He's talking about a loss of an identity. That, that those who don't ground themselves in the right thing will ultimately be existentially disappointed. They will be ultimately disappointed because everything they built will be destroyed because it will be built on sand and not on rock. The love of God is a rock, is a firm foundation for us to, to build. And what he's praying is that we will be rooted and grounded in love for both stability and nourishment. Now, I want to make it clear that we're not talking about your love for God. He's not saying, may you be rooted and grounded in your love for God. 
you know, that, that you'll love him more, that you'll have greater affection for him, that you'll have greater devotion, that you'll do more works of service for him. He's not saying, man, I hope you do more. What he's saying is, I hope you understand more how much God loves you. We're not talking about your love for God. We're talking about God's love for you, that you will have a greater experience of God's love for you. Do you understand that that is an end in and of itself? It is not a means to an end. Like as if the end were somehow moral change and moral refinement, and then someday I'll have self-control, and then I'll be able to be... This is an end in and of itself that we would delight ourselves in, we would just simply be delighted in God. John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most delighted in Him. And here's the deal, God's love, when we delight in God's love for us, it feeds us. And it gives us a strong foundation, it makes us strong. It is, it is the most valuable thing in the universe. And it's reflected, in fact, in our human experience. We all know that, that ultimately love is the most valuable thing we have. It, it feeds us. It makes us strong. It, 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 we are continually, all of us are continually putting down roots, trying to suck up as much love as we can get. All of us. I don't care if you're a Christ follower or not. Everything you're doing in life is ultimately trying to, to put the roots down so that you can experience and, and suck up and have more love. Right? Dudes wouldn't put it that way. Oh, I want guys to respect me. You know, look at that gun. Yeah, I want people to respect me. Yeah, why do you, we may put it in different ways, but I'm telling you, at the root of it, you want to be unconditionally accepted and loved. It is the deepest, most powerful human need. And we are black holes of need when it comes to love. We desperately, desperately need love. And here's my, my theory. I believe that love, our desire for love, is the appetite that is underneath every other appetite in life. That ultimately, we need love. We have such a strong appetite for love that it drives every other appetite in our life. You have an insatiable hunger for love that can't be fed. And so you try to feed it with everything else. We all do it. We all do it. I was on a trip um, to a conference with a guy who was a friend, and, and while we were at the conference, he had a friend who lived in the area, and he's like, I want to go visit him. And so while we're driving me over there, he tells me a little bit about what I'm in store for. Um, this guy is fabulously wealthy. Um, he's like, you're going to be impressed. I'm like, oh, that's great, you know. I was, holy cow. We pull up to his house. It's not just like a house, and it's not just like a big house. It is a mansion, like, like a full-on, like real-life, like Richie Rich mansion, right? Like like you open doors and money pour out. I mean, it's, and you walk in, big spiral staircase, huge, everything's granite and marble and blah, blah, blah. And he's walking through. And of course, you always have to get the tour of the house. And as you're walking through, there was like nothing built in this house that came from here, right? Like this is Italian marble and this is, uh, I don't know, Russian blah, blah, blah. And this oak tree came, you know, I'm like, everything was imported, like everything. It was like, you know, so it made it even that much more expensive sort of a deal. You're walking through this thing and I'm just like, are you kidding me? This is And so part of the tour was the garage, and that's the part that killed me. I'm like, oh, my goodness. We walk out there, every toy, all the cars, the motorcycles, the big Harley hog. I'm like, 
can I drive this thing? You know, not really, but um, we're just, he's showing me all this stuff. And I'm just like, this is incredible. This is kind of like heaven, right? And so then we go out to the back and, and, and he's got this, he's got a huge lake, which is beautiful. And one of those zero horizon pools that go out to the edge, you know, so like you're in, the, and, 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 and on each side of the pool are these lions, like, like, and they're not like local lions. I mean, these things were imported from some far away and they weren't recent lions. They were like carved, like, I don't know, hundreds of years ago. He was traveling the world and he saw them one day and he's like, I want those by my pool. I will pay them. And so they shipped them. Right. And, and so we're sitting out by this pool and we're, where he brings out these, you know, he's got like the best food and the best drink and, and, and it's just luxury. I'm surrounded by luxury and we're all just sitting around this pool in the evening and the moon is out and it's one of those, I'm kind of a sensate, I admit it, man. I just, I sense God in the things that I eat and the things that I drink and, and, and I experience, you know, it's like hands-on, I just, you know, and, and so I'm sitting there going, this is incredible. And then he starts unpacking his life. And as we're just talking about his life, all of my joy is disappearing. In his pursuit of wealth, he had destroyed his marriage. He had practically abandoned his children. They hate him because they look back at the dad they never had. He comes home every night to this beautiful mansion alone. And he sits by this pool by himself, drinking the best drink and eating the best food by himself. And it struck me that this man is so poor, all he has is money. And instead of envying him, I am filled with pity as I think about how rich I am. Because the thing that makes life worth living is not what we have or what we accomplish or what we do. It's love. At the end of the day, it is love. And you know what happened was somewhere along the line, this guy's appetite got derailed. Something happened where he thought that he was ultimately going to have his deepest need met by becoming the biggest success he could ever imagine. And so he fed himself with the wrong thing and he accomplished the wrong goal. And he was like the man who had built his house on the sand. And what was so tragic is that as I stood there and I shared with him the love of God, he, had, he didn't have eyes to see it. He was blind to his own poverty. He was trapped by his own limited scope of what's truly valuable in life. You guys, we all do this. We all do this. What do you crave? Power, influence, affection of others, security, pleasure? What are you enslaved to? What are you addicted to? What are you chasing? Here's the deal. You are sinking your roots into something. Desperately looking for love. What are you sinking your roots into? Here's my theory. <laughs> it hasn't been proved. Uh, I don't know if it's even fully right. But here's my theory. I believe every addiction is an outgrowth of disappointed love. Are you addicted to control? 
You just need to control all the variables. You need to control all the loose ends. It terrifies you if you're not in control. Why? I'm going to guess that more than likely it's because you're terrified that you will lose what you already have. You're terrified of being disappointed. Are you, are you addicted to gaining people's attention, affection, or their respect to the point that you will lie and misrepresent and manipulate? Why? I'm going to propose to you it is because you are desperately afraid that if you are exposed for who you really are, you will be disappointed and left without love. Are you addicted to pornography or other time-wasting? I'm telling you, you guys, love, our need for love is the hunger underneath every other hunger. And we are desperately trying to feed it, but we're doing it with all the wrong things. We're like the starving workers during the Industrial Revolution who didn't have enough food, and they would go to the corner and they would eat sawdust just so their bellies would be full. But it could not give them any nourishment or strength. We are filling our bellies with the sawdust of distraction and control and power and influence and pleasure and pornography and whatever it is that we're turning to outside of the love of God to have our deep need for the love of God met. Do you see how crazy it is? Paul prays that the eyes of our heart will be enlightened, that God will give us the strength to expand our capacity to understand and experience the love of God, the very thing we're craving. Now, here's the thing, you guys. We all know love is dangerous, which is part of the problem. We pull away from the love of God because we know love is conditional. Every human relationship reinforces this one basic truth. Love is conditional. In order to be loved, I must somehow merit your love. I need to provoke you to affection. I need to provoke you to value me. There has to be something that is attractive or praiseworthy or witty or funny. There has to be something in me that provokes a response from you. And we all know what it is to be desperately disappointed when whatever it is in us no longer provokes it in them. Some of you were raised in homes where this was painfully reinforced because you were never good enough, never measured up, never funny enough or smart enough or cute enough or, or, or beautiful enough or, or intelligent enough to actually earn your parents' favor and you desperately pursued it. And that disappointment has driven you to this day. Some of you are looking for it in your boyfriend or your spouse, your children. Every human relationship, hear this, every human relationship will fail you. Nobody will be able to meet the black hole of need of love in your heart because in the end, you will never be able to fully provoke their unconditional love. Here's the bad news, you guys. God's love is conditional too. Your greatest fear is true. God's love is conditional. And you know what his condition is? Absolute perfection. God is an absolutely perfect and holy God who attracts and loves and pours out his glory on everything that reflects his character and repels and destroys everything that doesn't. By his very nature, he must consume and destroy anything that is unholy, and that includes us. 
But you guys, this is the beauty of the gospel. God's love is conditional, but Jesus met the condition. Jesus lived the perfect life we should have lived, and he died in the shame that we deserved. He was our substitute in judgment. He took our place so that we could be covered with his righteousness. When we say that God's love is unconditional for the believer, it's true. But you know why? Because you're covered in Christ. The condition has been met not by you, but by him. The implications of this are profound and phenomenal. Do you realize there's nothing you can do to make God love you more? You know why? Because you can't do anything better than Jesus. You think you can merit it better than Jesus? Live a better life than Jesus? Be more obedient than Jesus? I don't think so. But you don't need to be. You can't earn God's love more because Christ has already earned it to the fullest extent. You can't make God love you more. You can't make God love you less. You know why? Because you didn't deserve it to begin with. Jesus did. That means it doesn't matter what you did last night. It doesn't matter how you failed. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if somebody's like farther along in their Christian life or seems like they have more self-control than you. God doesn't love them more because God doesn't love them based on their performance or yours. He loves us based on Christ's performance. The unconditional love of God is unconditional to us because we're covered with Christ and Christ meets every condition of God. You can do nothing to make God love you more. You can do nothing to make God love you less. And that means there's no risk with God. You will never be disappointed by the love of God. That's what we need to dig our roots into. That's what we need to be nourished by. God's unending, infinite, incomprehensible, unending love for us based on the work of Christ. When we are rooted and grounded in that love, we have strength. It empowers us. It frees us. When that appetite is fed, do you understand it will kill all the other appetites? You want to know how to be free from porn addiction? There it is. It's not about more self-control. It's not about more filters. It's not about more accountability partners. There are places for all of those things. You want to know how to be free? Fill yourself with the love of God. And you won't have an appetite for sawdust. Fill yourself with the right thing. It'll kill your appetites for the wrong things. Paul is praying that we will have a greater experience of God's love for us, that our eyes will be opened to its magnitude, that we will see the height and the breadth and the depth and the length, and we will be simply put on our backs in awe of the love of God. When our roots are dug deep into that love, we will be like the man from Psalm 1, who is a tree planted firmly by streams of water, whose leaf does not wither, who bears his fruit in his season, and whatever he does, he prospers. Because you have the true treasure, the true food. If you have that, you can even sit in a prison cell and be overwhelmed with gratitude. 
If you have that, you can be abandoned by your friends, you can be left alone, and you can be brought to tears at how rich you are in the love of Christ. It gives you the ability to love freely. It gives you the ability to be freely loved. Some of you are so self-protective because you are so afraid of disappointment. You have been hurt. You have been wounded. You have been betrayed. You have been abandoned. You have been taught that you are not good enough, beautiful enough, strong enough, and you have built up self-protection, which allows you to get a very small taste of love, but not very much because you're terrified of what will happen. When you are rooted and grounded in this love, it gives you the ability to love others freely, to have more love for them than they could ever deserve or earn to love people who are unattractive to you and to be loved in return, to receive that love unconditionally, without question, without being threatened. It allows you to forgive those that have wronged you and hurt you in a way that you could never do on your own and never actually, it it frees you because when you are freed in the love of God and that kind of infinite, absolute gratitude for how much God loves you, you are overwhelmingly filled with the greatest treasure of the universe. And it will transform you. So here's the question we need to end with. If we as believers all have access to that kind of infinite love, why don't we all walk in it? If we as believers are that loved, if the message is that radical, why isn't it transforming our lives? Why do we live such safe, boring, ritualistic, religious lives? Take a look at verse 17. A little phrase in Paul's prayer, starting in verse 16, he says, I'm praying that according to the riches of glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What's the difference between the Christian who is walking in the absolute delight and power and freedom of God's love and the Christian who is walking in religious, limited, enslaved, boring? What's the difference? Faith. Faith. Everyone has an equal measure of God's love. Not everyone has an equal experience of that love. If you're in Christ, you are at the center of Jesus. You are covered with his righteousness. You are just as loved, just as delighted in, just as celebrated, just as dignified as every other follower of Christ. And if you're not walking in the reality of it, the difference isn't your reality of of your situation. It's, It's your perception of your situation, your experience of it. It's your faith. Faith, very simply, is trusting that God is who he says he is and that he's done what he says he's done. Faith is a response to God that says, you are who you say you are. And you've done what you've said you have done. And that frees me to trust you. It frees me to abandon myself to the one who loves me. And to trust that he's going to tell a better story for my life than I would tell for my own. That he will, in fact, set me on a path of blessing. It's a trust that he actually really, really, really does love us unconditionally. 
It's because our condition has been met in Christ. That God delights in me, not because I perform, not because I do well, not because I meet the rules, not because I have self-control, not because I've succeeded. He loves me because Christ has succeeded. And he's proven it. He's demonstrated his love to me in the most tangible way possible by giving Jesus. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were at our ugliest, at our worst, when we were least deserving, God gave us the greatest demonstration of his love to prove to us that it wasn't based on our ability to perform and earn it, but on Christ's. And the beauty of Christ calls me to confidence. You guys think about this. I mean, just think about it practically. The God of the universe, uh, the one who created everything, spoke it into existence. He's for you. He loves you. He is not limited by your challenges. He is not afraid of your enemies. Do you get it? He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Not he might, not he could, not if you earn it. He already has. The key that is the blessing to every other blessing is already yours in Christ. You guys, this is so simple. This should lead us to radical, free, reckless lives of joy and delight and following, of submission to God. It should lead us to absolute abandon. It is so simple, but it's so hard. You know why? Because we don't trust God. Everything in our lives has taught us not to trust. To love, but to be self-protected. To reveal but to hold back. And this is why Paul pleads with God that our hearts might be strengthened. I mean, think of it. Just listen to this again. Just listen to this. And I'm praying to God, the one who made everything, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. With power. So that Christ may be in your hearts, that, that being rooted and grounded in love, you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what it is to experience this. Why, why do we need power? Why do we need strength? You know why? Because we need courage. When I stood on the edge of the Grand Canyon and I looked out, I don't know how that happens to you, but, but sometimes when I'm in a really, I'm, I'm afraid of heights, and so I'm b- both delighted and like, like filled with adrenaline at the same time. But when I get really close to the edge of something incredibly high like that, all of a sudden it feels like there's this wind behind me. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just like this magnetic pull that wants to pull me over the edge. You know what I'm saying? So like I end up getting on my belly and crawling up and like peeking over the edge. And even then I feel terrified. Like somehow I'm just going to flip into the air and go off the edge. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just this thing that's just going to pull me in. Hmm. You guys, that's the way we are with God. We are delighted in him. We're afraid of him. We are delighted in, in, in his love and, and his offer. And we're terrified by its intensity. Because he loves us as we are, but he will not leave us as we are. And that terrifies us. Because it means we get to no longer be in control. We get to no longer call the shots. 
we, we, we have to abandon ourselves to his reckless, ravishing love. And while we desperately crave it, we are desperately afraid of it. That's why we need our hearts strengthened, that we might have courage to throw ourselves into that love and leave all of the safety harnesses behind. Because when you throw yourself off that cliff, you are not throwing yourself into nothing. You are throwing yourself into the abyss of the love of God. Paul is praying that you will have the courage to stop protecting yourself, to stop limiting the power of God, that you will have a vision of the love of God that is so full, so transformative, that all you have left is gratitude. And out of that gratitude and joy, a simplest, like a child following his father. That was one of my favorite things about my kids, man. I could have them jump off a 10-foot wall. They were like this tall. They're flying through the air. Why? Because they knew I would catch them. A reckless abandon in the love of God. Life has taught us to be careful, to self-protect, to control. Because every other experience of love disappoints. Every other love has been a house built in the sand that ultimately leaves us with the fear of being just destitute and disappointed. This is why we need our hearts strengthened, filled with courage, so that we might actually grow in faith and trust that God is who He says He is and that He has done what He says He's done and He loves us to the extent that He says He loves us because God's love never disappoints. Whatever it brings into our lives, even the suffering, is part of his plan to release blessing and transformation. Not to disappoint, to punish, or abandon. And that's why Paul ends his prayer by saying, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You guys, we're going to move into a time of response, and I'm going to ask you to pray. Let God speak to you.